Well, all right. Traders Point, how are we feeling? I love it. I love it. Hey, uh, so good to be here with all of you. Just want to take a moment to welcome everybody at all of our campuses, everybody who's joining us online. Glad that you are tuning in with us today. And uh, before we get rolling, we have to just celebrate because our West Campus has moved into their brand new building. West Campus, we see you, we love you. We hope it's been a day of excitement so far, and uh, we just need to celebrate. Uh, we felt God leading us to the West Side a number of years ago, and so we, we went. And uh, we found a middle school that was gracious to us and allowed us to use that space. And uh, we were set up and tear down every single week, thinking this will only be for a year, maybe two. Uh, it's been five. Uh, so... Uh, in the midst of those five years, though, we have just seen God's faithfulness over and over again as we showed up. Many people showing up very early and staying very late, uh, setting up and, and tearing down. Uh, we've seen people just give of their time and their talent and their resources. Uh, we've seen an entire church just be extremely generous, which has allowed us to then acquire this building. And we always want to, uh, everybody to know that we know that the church is not uh, about a building. The church is God's people. The, the building is just a, a tool, a tool that we can use to allow God's people to, to gather, to grow closer to Jesus, and then to go out into the community and to make a difference. But nonetheless, we are just so grateful of God's faithfulness and your generosity over the years that have allowed us uh, to, to do this. So one more time, can we just celebrate God's faithfulness through the years? in that way. But if you are new here and you are just joining us, right now we are in week two of a sermon series called uh, What the World Needs Now. And we have been walking through the fruit of the Spirit, which can be found in Galatians chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and scroll or turn there. If not, no worries. Uh, all the verses will be up here on the screen uh, next to me. Um, but as we do that, I just want to quickly remind us or maybe even inform us of what uh, Galatians is. So Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, which would be modern-day uh, Turkey. There are about four churches, and he actually started these churches. So Paul is the, the founding pastor, and he's writing back to these churches. And he would visit these churches on a lot of his missionary journeys. So he would stop uh, through there. He would encourage them, and, and he would teach them. He actually had a relationship with them. And so in this letter, Paul is writing to them, and he says some very encouraging things in this letter. Uh, he says some very challenging things to them in this letter. He speaks a lot of, of truth, and he even, like, calls them out on a few things. I don't know if you have anybody in your life that isn't uh, hesitant to call you out. Uh, maybe it's a friend or a family member. Uh, maybe it's the person you're sitting next to. Uh, if it's that person, don't look over at them. Just keep looking at me. Smile. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, no, but Paul is that guy. He is that guy who, uh, because he had relational equity with them, he could share some very hard truth with them. It's because he, he lived with them. He ate meals with them and shared time with their family. Uh, he sent kids Venmo uh, on their birthdays, uh, gave them money. And he uh, just continued over and over again to not only share God's word with them, but shared his life with them. And so he would share some very hard things, but ways that they needed to be challenged because the people of Galatia had started to kind of fall back into this legalistic, this religious way of life where they were depending upon God's law um, to be saved. And, and Paul is saying, hey, no, actually, I want you to remember that it is God's spirit that now leads you and you are free in, in Jesus. 
And as we get to chapter 5, uh, Paul kind of lays out what freedom in the Spirit actually looks like. And he says that there are these two options that we have just as followers of Jesus. Uh, one, he reminds them that there is this sinful nature that all of us have. And he kind of paints the picture for what it looks like to follow that sinful nature. And he would say, if you follow this sinful nature, it will result in, in these things. And he would list this whole uh, list of sins, including anger and jealousy and sexual immorality and, and lust and, a, and a, a, a number of other sins. And it's uh, almost as if we look at the world today, 2,000 years later, not much has changed. There's still a lot that we are wrestling with when it comes to that. Uh, but then Paul would go on to say that there is actually a, a different way. Yeah, yes, there's this tug of war that we have, but as followers of Jesus, we ought to be led by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God actually produces these qualities from us as we submit to him. And he lists these nine qualities in verse 22. Let's take a look at them. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And these are what's known as the, the fruit of the Spirit. And I think it's important for us to know what these are and also what, what they are not, okay? Uh, these are not just uh, some virtues that we ascribe towards. Uh, Paul is not giving us a, a checklist per se. These aren't things that we say, hey, if I do these things, then I will be considered a, a Christian, no, it's, it's far different from that. What this is, is this is um, what is supernaturally sprouting from our lives as we abide in Jesus and as we are led by his spirit. And I think it's easy for us to kind of look at a list like that and kind of give ourselves a, a score, right? Um, and say, well, I got about seven out of 10 of those. I'm, I'm shooting about 70%. Uh, I, I haven't fully submitted every area of my life to Jesus, but I'm, I'm good on, on a number of those. And it's almost as if Paul knew that that would be the response of both the Galatians as well as us today. Because he says, actually, no, you, you, that's not the way, the way it looks when you follow Jesus. He would go on in verse 25 to say this. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So Paul himself would say that, hey, I'm, I'm not a perfect person and, and neither are we. we. We aren't perfect, but we are called to submit ourselves to the Lord's leading and his spirit is supposed to lead every single part of our lives. And we cannot pick and choose what this looks like. It's also important to know that this isn't us that we actually, something that we actually work for. Uh, we can't uh, white knuckle our ways to uh, good moral behavior. Uh, we can't consider ourselves the masters of morality. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm out on all of that. I tried it and it is, it's exhausting. And ultimately it just, it just led to hypocrisy. There was a point in my life, though, where I came to, to realize that as I was following Jesus, there was, this, there was this gap between what I said I believed and what my life actually looked like. There was this discrepancy where I was proclaiming one thing, but I was practicing something totally different. It was, it was incongruent. But the more that I began to fall in love with Jesus, the more that I realized that following Jesus is actually about letting him close that gap over time. That there is this, yes, this is a gap between what I proclaim and what I profess. But the more that I submit to his spirit, the more the spirit then closes that gap. And that's what God has called all of us to do as we live in light of the spirit's prompting. And so we are to be led by the spirit in every single part of our lives. And so um, today 
we are going to uh, cherry pick, if you will, from that list of fruit. If you just cringe at my dad joke, I'm, I'm used to it. It's, it's okay. Um, but no, today we're going to talk about uh, joy. We're going to talk about joy. And I don't know what comes to mind uh, or even who comes to mind when you think about joy. But uh, when I think about joy, man, I think about my wife and I's uh, three kids. We have three kids. They're six, they're four, and they are six months old. Uh, all girls. Y'all, y'all pray for me, okay? <laughs> pray for you, boy. Uh, it is a lot, all right? Um, if we get a dog, it's going to be a boy, no doubt. I... <laughs> I need some more testosterone in the house somehow. Uh, no, but when I think about joy, it's impossible for me to not consider their smiling faces, to not hear their laughs. And sure, they, they have their episodes like any other child. They whine and cry a lot. Uh, they cry when I tell them they cannot watch another episode of Bluey um, and a host of other things that I tell them they can't do. But at the core of it, man, they are so joyful. And it's almost as if the, the Spirit of God has been convicting me over the past couple of months as I look at their life, and I almost have this, like, this holy envy of what they have, the laughs, the smiles. And I kind of like parallel that with my life, and God has been convicting me. He was like, Kyle, does your, does your life look like that? God, Kyle, the, the, the relationship that I've called you into, it should look very similar to the disposition they have, the way that they see the world, how joyful they are. And I think God is calling all of us to kind of have that same disposition as we talk about what joy actually looks like in our life. But before we get there, I think it's important for us that we have to actually make a, a distinction uh, between something very uh, important. And uh, I have the privilege of sitting down with a, a lot of people due to what I uh, am able to do. And I walk with people through uh, the highs of life, but also the, the lows of life as well. And uh, it's in those low moments where we'll get together and we will talk and we'll have conversation and just process what is happening, whether it's a relational issue or just an experience that has caused some hurt and, and some pain. And at some point in the conversation, these words will come out from them. They will, they will say, but Pastor Kyle, at the end of the day, I just want to be happy. I just, I just want to be happy. And, and, I, and I get that. I get the sentiments behind it. If we're honest, a lot of us have either thought that or we uh, uh, have said it even out loud at times. But I think it's important that we make the distinction between our worldly view of happiness and the biblical view of joy because there is a vast difference. And our culture feeds into this. Our culture is, is obsessed with happiness. I mean, you go to the nearest bookstore and go down the self-help aisle, you'll be overwhelmed with the amount of books that start with five ways to, right? I mean, you look at uh, everything in the media and TVs and commercials, and it's all centered in this packaging of, hey, if you just buy this product, if you get this service, then your life will be so much better and you will have happiness. The vacation packages, the Amazon shopping, the in-store shopping, if you're still doing that in 2022. Uh, the alcohol and drug companies, all of it uh, feeds into this lie and is centered on the fact that, hey, happiness starts here. And the danger is we have a tendency to believe that. And it may even be true for a time, but it's temporary and it's fleeting. But I want to propose the question, what if God wants us to experience something more? Something that isn't temporary, something that is eternal. And when we look at the Bible, we see that God doesn't just want us to experience happiness. He wants us to experience joy, which is vastly different from happiness. Which leads me to uh, this important point if you're taking notes. Happiness is a feeling. 
but joy is an attitude. Happiness is a feeling, man, it comes and it goes. It changes and it is conditional. Some of our happiness is determined by the weather. I mean, you are a joy to be around when it's sunny and 70. Let it be gloomy, you turn into Eeyore real quick. It's situational, it's, it's conditional. But when the Bible talks about joy, it talks about it being this attitude. It is a posture of the heart positioned on the presence of God. And one of the greatest examples that we have of somebody who has this attitude is uh, a guy named David. And David, throughout the Psalms, would express a number of emotions, but one of the themes in the Psalms is one of joy. And I want us to take a look at Psalm chapter 16, because we get a front row seat at why David has this attitude. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 16. And in verse 8, this is what, what David says. He says, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right by my side. He is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. And so as we look at that, we have to ask the question, why, why is David's heart glad? What caused him to rejoice? And we clearly see that it was the fact that he knew that the presence of the Lord was always with him. That's what joy is about. Joy is an attitude that we have based on the God that we serve. I don't have a slide for that one. That one's for free uh, to take it. Joy is an attitude that we have based on the God that we serve. And it's the reality that we know that no matter what, God is present in our lives. And I think the reason that some of us can't experience the true, the deep, the intimate joy that God wants us to have is because we have believed the lie that God is not present, especially when it comes to pain and loss. That he's absent from our heartache, that he's absent from our loss, that somehow he is distant from our hardship of life. But my Bible says that the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted. Hello. My Bible says that God does not change, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Come on, if I was in a Baptist church, I would have them cue the organ right now. My Bible says that he has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. My Bible says that his love is unconditional. So in spite of the heartache and the pain that we go through, we have to hold tight to the fact that God is present with us through that pain, which means that no matter how devastating the news no matter how dark the situation, no matter how damaging the pain, God is with me. Nothing catches him by surprise. He is sovereign, he's omnipotent, and he's omnipresent, and his very spirit lives with inside of me, which should give me great joy. I love this, um, this killer quote by Dr. Tony Evans. He says, joy is internal stability in spite of external circumstances because of the knowledge that God is in control. And I love that. And some of us think that um, God isn't in control when life doesn't go our way. When life didn't pan out the way that we had expected it to. When you didn't get the job that you just knew that you were qualified for. When you didn't get into the school of your dreams. When that person walked out of your life unexpectedly when you got that unexpected diagnosis, or when your adult child called you and told you, I'm no longer a Christian. 
We think that God is not present in our moments in the valley, but what we see is that God is always present with us. But we have this misconception that God's presence is connected to our prosperity. That when things are going great in life, God is is there. But when things are not going so great, God, where are you? God, are you truly there? Are you truly present in my life? But all we have to do is look at David who said, I know God is always with me. That he is always beside me and I'm not going to be shaken because he is right here with me through the pain. And I don't know about you, but I want joy like that. Joy that is anchored in the fact that God is with me no matter what because his presence never changes. Which leads us to to this clear distinction that happiness is based on circumstances in our life, but joy is based in certainty in our Savior. There's a clear distinction in that. Certainty in our Savior, certainty that he is who he says he is, that he is for us, that he is with us. Certainty that he isn't just um, with us now, but that he is with us forever, that he promises that we will spend eternity with him. And David goes on to actually explain this very thing because he says in verse 11, look at what he says. He says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. And what? The pleasures of living with you forever. And you want to know some of the most joyful people? It's those people who know that they will spend eternity with God, who cling to this promise. And that allows them to see past the here and the now to a day where there will be no more pain and no more tears and no more suffering and no more heartache. Uh, I have a neighbor and um, his name is Terry. Terry is uh, on the onset and surface level. Terry's very different from me. Terry is uh, in his mid-70s. Terry is a little heavier set. He's an older white guy. Um, Terry loves to walk his dog three or four times uh, a day. And he does so often in in overalls with no shirt on underneath it. So you just, (laughs) there's that picture for you. Uh, Terry has been married to his wife for over 30 years, and they have some beautiful grandkids who oftentimes will play with my children. And uh, I got a chance to uh, just build a relationship with Terry over these past couple of years, and uh, there's just so much joy in him. But recently, Terry um, shared with me that he has stage 3 pancreatic cancer. And uh, we just got to talking about what that means for him, how he's handling it. And uh, he shared some very honest things that he's just concerned about some things with his family and, um, you know, what this means for his kids and his grandchildren. Uh, But then I just asked him, you know, how are you handling all of this? And I'll never forget what he he shared with me recently. He said, Kyle, it's very hard. Um, The treatment is is very painful. Then he said, no matter what happens, I know what's on the other side of this for me. And then he shared these words, which just kind of struck me to my core. He said, this cancer may take my body, but the Lord has my soul. And I just honestly walked away encouraged, but a little bit convicted because I'm like, do I walk throughout life with that same kind of heart posture? And I would go on to see Terry come home from like chemotherapy and treatments and stuff. And in his limited ability, he would still get out and walk his dog, still with a smile on his face. And I'm like, man, I want, I want that kind of joy. But I think it's also important that we just make um, a distinction of what joy is not. This does not mean that we, that we suppress our feelings, that we put on a fake smile and we just pretend to be happy. If anything, I would encourage us that we, there's actually healthy opportunities for us to engage our feelings. That we should lean into to them, but we don't surrender to them. 
Um, our feelings are indicators, but they're not dictators. Okay? They, they're, they're gauges, but they're not our, our guide. Our, our feelings are meant to help us um, process how we are looking at the external happenings around us. And what we do is we take those feelings, whatever it is in the moment, and we ask, hey, what is this feeling trying to tell me? whether it's sadness or fear or worry, we say, what is this feeling trying to tell me? And then we ultimately submit it to God and align it with scripture and allow both his joy to accompany that feeling. And then we make a distinction on, should I lean into this? Is it telling me the truth? And how far into it should I, I press in? So the reality is you can feel both uh, a feeling and, uh, and joy and have an attitude of joy at the very same time. You can experience sadness, but still have an attitude of joy at the very same time. I've seen it happen. I have officiated funerals uh, where there is both weeping and worship at the same time. Where there is uh, sorrow and celebration at the very same time. I've watched a mother get up and bawl her eyes out as she is just weeping and sorrowful over the fact that her child is no longer there. But at the very same time, she is praising and rejoicing as she looks at her child's lifeless body. You may say, how can you do both of those things? They're not mutually exclusive. One is a feeling and the other is an attitude. And so it doesn't mean that we just kind of casually walk throughout life saying akuna matata, kind of numb to what's happening around us in the world. It means that, no, we lean into the feelings, but we have an attitude of joy that is based on the promise of our Savior that he is both with us now and as we go into eternity. And so what joy does is it gives us this uh, eternal perspective. It helps us to process how we see life in light of, of eternity. One of my favorite theologians um, has this quote, and he says, God, would you stamp eternity on my eyeballs? And I love that. Man, you want to pray a bold prayer? You pray something like that. God, would you stamp eternity on my eyeballs? Meaning the lens in which I see life is, in constant, uh, is constantly being informed by what I know you are doing behind the scenes, that there is something beyond the here and the now. God, would you help me to constantly see what is going on in the world, acknowledge that this world is broken, but don't let me be broken by it. God, would you help me to love people unconditionally with joy the same way that you love them because you created them and you died for them. Help me to love them even when I feel like they don't deserve it. Hello, somebody. Come on. It got real quiet in here. Y'all like, I'm out on that one. Uh, no, it is about us constantly seeing eternity. We have this eternal perspective because that's what our joy is based on. It is an eternal joy. And this joy coupled with love, is what has marked the church for thousands of years. I don't know if you know that. It is what set the church apart. After Jesus ascended back to heaven, there was the, the early church who would face extreme persecution, beaten and whipped and flogged and even killed over their faith. And it was the joy that they had in the midst of that that frustrated those who were persecuting them. They're like, we're trying to kill them. We're trying to stamp them out. We're trying to, to make them suffer. And they just keep multiplying, and they're joyful in the process. Paul would write some of his most joyful letters, namely Philippians, to the people in Philippi while he was in jail, shackled in chains. I think of, um, of American slavery, which was a, a cruel act. But I think about how uh, the enslaved Africans would often uh, steal away in the cover of night uh, in secrecy out into the woods. And they would um, build what's called hush harbors, 
where they would put up these wet blankets to help muffle the sound, and they would tip pots onto their sides so that as they uh, expressed sound, it would catch the sound. And in these hush harbors, man, they would dance, and they would sing, and they would preach, and they would rejoice, and they would weep. In the midst of chaos and pain, they were experiencing and expressing an extreme amount of joy. I think about Christians in the civil rights movement during Jim Crow in, in the segregated South, marching arm in arm, singing, we shall overcome with smiles on their faces. And as they were arrested for protesting, they were singing hymns in the jail cells. I think about the underground church and countries where Christianity is illegal. And if they're caught meeting, they will either face death or, or jail. And yet here they are meeting with joy over the fact that they get to gather with other believers and experience the joy that Jesus has for them. And I often ask myself, how could these people express joy in the midst of chaos and pain? And it's because for thousands of years, joy has never been about a feeling, but it's been about our focus. It's been what we have been gazing at, what we get our eyes onto. Yes, we engage the here and the now, but our eyes are focused on something and someone so much bigger. And so my question for you today is, what are you focusing on? What are you gazing at as you experience the happenings of life? Are you focusing on the circumstance? Or are you focusing on the fact that God has a presence and a promise both here and now, something that is constant no matter what we experience in this life? I mean, there's so much joy that comes from that. And it's something that God deeply desires all of us to have. But if God desires all of us to have it, then why is it so absent from so many of our lives? And I think there's a number of reasons. I already talked about how pain and suffering oftentimes um, cause us to be distracted from the joy that God wants us to have. But I think that, that Satan actually uses some more subtle tactics to, to steal our joy. And I come up with a, a list of them. This isn't an all-encompassing list, but I think they are a list of very prevalent things that try to steal our joy, starting with comparison. Maybe the reason that some of us don't have joy in our own lives is because we're too busy comparing it to other people's. I know I'm easily falling into that trap constantly where I will compare my life or what I have or my giftings to somebody else's and allow it to, to steal my joy. A Craig Groeschel says the fastest way to kill something is to compare it to something else. And a lot of us are killing how special our own lives are, our own jobs, our own families, our own relationships. You're killing how special your own kids are because you're comparing it to somebody else's kids. But God wants us to have joy, not in the comparison, not in what we lack, but in what we have. I think another one is uh, perfection. Perfectionism, um, this is a subtle one because it can be easily disguised and easily masked as ambitious or I'm just committed to excellence, right? But the truth is, many of us struggle with trying to live up to a standard that God never set. We don't embrace God's gift of limits, and so we spin our wheels, striving for perfection, missing out on the joy that exists in simply just being enough. And some of you think that, you are, that who you are and what you do isn't enough, and it's robbing you of your joy. Another one is bitterness. This is usually tied to, a, to an experience, maybe with something or with, with someone. And maybe as a result of that experience, maybe somebody hurt you, or maybe they backstabbed you, or they, they walked out of, of your life. Um, you, you, you've guarded yourself, and you're jaded. And now the lens in which you view the world is shaped by that experience and has made you cynical and, and joyless. 
Another one is, is worry. I think this is keeping so many of us from, from joy. And usually it's, uh, it's tied to a, a lack of control. Any control freaks in here? Okay, y'all just going to leave me up here by myself? It's okay. Go ahead, go ahead and lie in church. It's fine. <laughs> joy is connected to our, our trust in God. And if Satan can keep us worrying about the things that we can't control, he can keep us worshiping, keep us from worshiping with joy. I think one last one is just is shame. And this is a big one. So many people wrestle with the guilt of falling short and making mistakes or not living up to expectations. Some of us have no time to be joyful because we're too busy beating ourselves up. You need to know that Jesus nailed both of your sin and your shame to a cross. Stop trying to take it down. You need to rest in the forgiveness that he offers and find joy in the fact that you don't have to be living in shame over that. And maybe you can res- resonate with uh, a few of those things, or maybe there were several on, on them, of them where you would raise your hand and say, yeah, Kyle, I struggle with a, a lot of them, and, and that's okay. But I think what I want you to know today is that God has called you to something so much more, that he doesn't want you just to experience happiness. He wants you to experience a deep, intimate joy that only comes from a relationship with him. And I think it's impossible for us to actually teach on the fruit of the Spirit or being led by the Spirit without creating a space for us to really just abide in Jesus and allow the Spirit to move in our hearts. And so similar to last week, I just want to create a space for us to to just be and to reflect on who God is and what he has done in our life and what he wants to continue doing in each and every one of our lives. And maybe this is the first time all week where you'll just stop and you'll just be in the presence of God. Because if you're honest, you've been spinning your wheels all week. You've been constantly on the go, going from one thing to the next, busy. And you haven't created a space for you just to be still and find joy in the presence of God. And so I want all of us at all of our campuses to just take this moment right now to to close our eyes. Close our eyes and uh, take a deep breath in and exhale. And I'm going to lead us as we just take this moment to to first reflect. To reflect on the character of God. And I want you to focus on his goodness. Think about how good God has been to you. The things that you often take for granted. The things you have. His presence in your life. We serve a good father. Think about his, his mercy. The things that uh, you deserve that God didn't give to you and were actually a blessing. Namely, eternity with him. Think about how merciful our heavenly father is. Think about his grace. how God gave you the things that you didn't deserve, the blessings in those things, his unmerited, unearned grace. Reflect on that. Next, we're going to repent. This isn't a scary word. This is actually a gift that God has given us, the ability to just come before him and to be real. 
And some of us just need to confess today. Maybe you need to confess what has been robbing you of your joy. Maybe it's one of the things on the list or maybe it's several of them. Bring it into the light. Name it. Comparison. Perfectionism. Maybe you are just worried out of your mind and you're anxious. Maybe you wrestle with a deep sense of shame and you just need to embrace the grace that is available in the forgiveness of Jesus. And you just need to ask God to help you turn from whatever it is that is causing your joy to be robbed from you. Next, we're going to rejoice. I want you to take this time to think about his love for you. His unconditional love that should bring you so much joy. I want you to find joy in his presence. His presence that is with you now, but also that because of Jesus, there's a presence that we get to spend with him forever. You remind yourself that as David said, God is always with you. And rejoice over that. Find joy in it. Lastly, we're going to just rest. We reflected, we repented, we rejoiced, and now we just get to rest. We get to rest in what Jesus has done and who he says we are. Rest is something that is so foreign to us, especially where we live. We're so busy doing that we struggle to just be. And you just need to rest in who God says you are, not your mistakes, not your roles, not your titles, but in who God says that you are. You are chosen. You are loved. You've been redeemed. You are his. Rest in the finished work of Jesus and find joy in his abundant grace. Father, we thank you for these gifts that we get to reflect on who you are, that we get to repent, that we get to rejoice and we get to rest. God, did you give us space to just be with you and be reminded of your presence? Thank you for the gift that that is. That that is. God, we completely surrender everything to you because we truly want to abide in who you are and we want to be led by your spirit. And so God, I, help, I pray that you help us as a church to allow your spirit to naturally sprout this fruit of joy in our lives. God, if we're honest, when people think of some of us, they don't think of us as joyful. We say that we follow Jesus, but we don't exhibit the joy that comes with following him. God, I pray that you would supernaturally, by your spirit, give us this quality that we wouldn't have to work for, but we would completely just surrender every part of our lives to your spirit. And that we would find ultimate joy, not in what we do, but in who you say that we are 
and that the fact that we get to abide with you now and forever should bring us so much joy. Jesus, we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask all of us at all of our campuses to go ahead and, and stand to our feet as we get ready to, to enter into worship. And um, man, there's a moment of joy in the Bible that oftentimes gets overlooked. And it's the crucifixion of Jesus. When we think about the crucifixion of Jesus, um, him hanging on the cross, beaten and bruised, bloody, struggling for breath, joy is not one of the things that we think about. We don't think that he experienced joy in that moment. But do you know that Jesus had joy when he was on the cross? Actually, uh, the book of Hebrews talks about it. And it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Jesus experienced an extreme amount of joy when he was up there on that cross, meaning he didn't find joy in the event. No, the event was actually bloody and painful. He didn't find joy in the feeling, in the feeling because it hurt. No, what Jesus found joy in was the outcome. He found joy in the outcome of what this meant for you and for me, that we get to spend eternity with him forever and ever. Him thinking of that outcome allowed him to stay nailed to that cross and to go into a grave. You see, he didn't see his circumstance. Jesus saw something totally different. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, he didn't see his circumstance. You know what he saw? He saw you, all of you, every bit of you every bit of you, prideful you, arrogant you, lonely you, lying you, insecure you, cheating you. He saw all of who you are. But do you know what else he saw? Redeemed you, rescued you, restored you, revived you, rejoicing you. And it brought him great joy to picture what you could be if you would just embrace the joy that he wants to give you. Jesus died so that you could have joy. And some of us haven't experienced that joy, but I want you to know that Jesus died so that you could have it. That church, as we go throughout life, we have what the world needs, not in an arrogant kind of way, but we know that it all comes from a relationship with Jesus, that we wake up each and every day responding to the gospel, responding to the good news, that there's nothing I can do to earn it, but God's presence is always with me, and I get to celebrate with him forever and eternity, and it's a pure, authentic, spirit-led joy. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you that we get to experience joy, not us putting on a fake smile, not us putting on the filter on social media that causes us to pretend that we have happiness, but we have deep-rooted, intimate joy that only comes from an encounter with your son, Jesus. And God, through this encounter, we get to be authentic about who we are. We get to be authentic about our hurts and our pain and our trials, but we also hold fastly and we cling to the fact that you are present with us both now and forever and eternity. So with that uh, perspective in mind, God, I pray that you would fill this heart, fill this place, fill all of our hearts with joy. Joy that goes out into the world, out into our city, out into the community, so that when people see us, they see you in us. And they may say, I don't believe what they believe just yet, but I want what they have. 
and it's a spirit-led joy that only comes from encountering you. We're so glad that we met you. So change our hearts, change our minds so that we can express the joy that you died to give us. We thank you and we love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.